0: This is Steve Becker, I am a former district court judge in Reno County, Kansas. I am a former uh, Kansas State Legislature, I I am currently a podcaster.
1: And a full-time papa.
0: And that too.
1: And I'm Beth White. I spent almost 10 years with the Department of Corrections, working with parole services, helping people reintegrate into society after conviction, and I am just happy to be here.
0: And this is Cleared. forward to these recording sessions for our podcast because it's the one of the few occasions i get to visit with you without the grandkids (laughs)
1: speaking of full-time papa yes no kids here
0: we can have an adult conversation
1: and not get snacks for anybody
0: and not get interrupted, I hope. And
1: not talking about Encanto.
0: <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, welcome, everybody, uh, to Cleared. I like to start these episodes uh, with looking at some recent developments in the world of exonerations. And I always do so by going to the National Registry of exonerations that is uh, it's run uh, by the uh, University of Michigan. Oh, and I'll start by telling you that since 1989, there have been 3,150 exonerations. When I was looking for recent exonerations, I found numerous cases that showed in an exoneration date of April 22, 2022. about a month and a half ago from when we're recording this, and I found uh, that to be somewhat curious, so I followed it up a little bit and stumbled across a story that I uh, hope I can tell briefly, but it's quite a story. So uh, we have a very special guest uh, in this episode. We will uh, introduce him uh, when I get through, uh, when we get to our Profile. Okay, Cook County Police Department. Sergeant Ron Watts led a tactical team of Chicago police officers that engaged in systemic extortion, bribery, and other related crimes during the late 1990s through 2012. And I'm telling you, this is like the classic renegade cops that we see on the big screen or we see in our TV series. To try to show what happened, I'll start with a particular case or I'll focus on a particular case. In 2006, Ben Baker was convicted in two separate cases of drug possession and he was sentenced to 14 years. Six years later, in 2012, Sergeant Ron Watts, And one of his fellow officers were caught on tape stealing money from a who they believed to be a drug courier, but was in fact an FBI informant. Whoops. And as a result of that, there were some consequences. You don't always see that. in misconduct by law enforcement, but this is significant. That occurred in 2012. In 2013, uh, Sergeant Watts was sentenced to 22 months in prison. In 2015, as a result of this coming to light, in 2015, we get back to that Ben Baker case. Joshua Tepfer, an attorney, with the exoneration project. University of Chicago School of Law filed a motion to vacate Mr. Baker's conviction citing corruption of Watts and uh, his unit. The filing of this motion resulted in the Cook County State's Attorney's Office Conviction Integrity Unit to reinvestigate that case and they concluded that the conviction should be vacated. They agreed. so. Mr. Baker was uh, exonerated and then shortly thereafter, beginning in December of 2016, Tepfer and an attorney, Joel Flaxman, filed motions for new trials for dozens of men and women claiming false convictions based upon the corruption of uh, Watts and uh, his team again the conviction integrity unit began investigating these cases as a result of the motions being filed and once again agreed by the end of 2021 90 cases
1: nine, zero, 90 nine,
0: zero, 90 cases had been dismissed and the uh, convicted have been exonerated Wow, and that is why when this was all logged into the uh, National Registry of Exoneration,s it was all many of these cases were logged the same what the same day. So on February twenty two of twenty two, all of these cases got on the registry. More than forty convictions were vacated and dismissed through this process. Um, we have said many times the purpose of this podcast is to not only educate that this thing exists, that this is an issue that truly exists, but we want to educate and emphasize how frequently it occurs. And here we have an instance of uh, corrupt uh, law enforcement that resulted in more than 200 exonerations. Amazing, amazing.
1: Chicago has some issues. I feel like I feel like Jim McCloskey told us, or maybe it was in his book, that Chicago was the jurisdiction where he had a police officer willingly admit that he planted evidence. Wasn't that in Chicago?
0: Yeah, and I think it was also in Chicago that the prosecutors admitted to putting on false knowing the evidence was yeah. false, and his explana- prosecutor's explanation was, Well, the defendant's side's gonna lie, but we will too. Yeah anyway quite a story man that's uh hollywood i'll pick that up
1: well not only does this happen it's not uncommon for it to happen there
0: you go there you go okay uh let's focus on
1: uh, well i had one quick thing to interject real quick please do since the last time we met there has been some other national news that's happened with wrongful convictions uh, if you recall we spent a good amount of time talking about melissa lucio she was a death row inmate in texas uh we talked about how her execution was pending very fortunately she was issued a stay of execution so she was not executed april yes april, i'm losing I days yes um i did post on our facebook page a audio of her receiving the call from her attorney that her execution was stayed it's extremely moving i'm not gonna lie i did cry so just forewarning if you do listen to it uh it, it's very moving so that that's awesome news too
0: yes and the stay of execution results in more time to uh, prove her innocence yeah, I think is... they
1: said they were going to review her case too yes yes, yes.
0: it was sent back um, yes it was sent back to the trial court was it not with instructions that it be reviewed
1: I uh, yes I think that's correct
0: yeah okay so yeah they're uh, they're still fighting to prove her innocence okay thanks Beth i wanted to ask you um, about an update on that case let's' uh, Let's Let's jump into it. talk about this episode's profile.
1: Okay. And this one's going to be a little bit different. Like dad had mentioned, we're so very fortunate to have, um, a guest here to help us with this. Just as a foreword, I'm going to talk a little bit about the case. Just give a very quick synopsis of it. The case is Albert Wilson. And like I said, we're fortunate enough to have his appellate attorney, Michael Whalen here with us, who's going to talk about how the justice system failed him and what went wrong. For those of you that aren't familiar with Albert Wilson's case, Uh, The alleged crime was set to have take place September 10th in 2016. Mr. Wilson was 20 years old at the time, and he was attending the University of Kansas. He was a Wichita native, so living in Kansas. Uh, He had already received an associate's degree and had moved to Lawrence to pursue a degree in sports journalism. That night, September 10th, he and a friend had decided to go to a local bar, the Hawk, a local infamous bar, which just so happened to be a couple blocks from his residence. Once there at the bar, he had a chance encounter with a female and her cousin. They began interacting. The female dragged him onto the dance floor. They started dancing, kissing, making out, um, touching, at which point Albert asked the female if she would like to accompany him back to his residence. Keep in mind, his residence is only four blocks away from the bar. According to Albert, she said that she would. They left for a short time. And when I say short time, they were gone from the bar, maybe 20 minutes max. They got back to Mr. Wilson's house. They began continuing to make out, upon which point Mr. Wilson received a call and a text from his friend that he had went to the bar with. He said that he felt uneasy about it and like he needed to get back to the bar. So he and the woman went back to the bar where they separated and went different ways. Unbeknownst to Mr. Wilson, the female contacted a sorority sister that night saying that she had been sexually assaulted on the dance floor at the bar and then was raped at Mr. Wilson's house. The following day she went to the hospital and a rape kit was performed. Um, They found a partial DNA sample. I believe it was saliva on her chest, but they saw no evidence of any kind of sexual intercourse, no pubic hairs, no DNA, no semen, no nothing. Despite that, Albert Wilson was charged and convicted with rape. Mr. Wilson's black, the judge, the jury, and the attorneys were white. He was sentenced to 12 years, three months at the Department of Corrections. Very fortunate for Mr. Wilson, his case kind of got social media viral. Lots of people picked up the case. Lots of people were interested. The hashtag Free Albert Wilson was everywhere. Um, a lot of very famous, influential people took notice of the case, including, I think you could argue, the most infamous social media icon of our time, Miss Kim Kardashian, retweeted a treat. tweet about Mr. Wilson calling for justice to to her over 70 million Twitter followers. Mr. Wilson, thankfully, was exonerated in 2021. 20, in total, he spent two years and two months incarcerated for a crime that he did not commit.
0: Thank you, Beth. You're welcome. Yeah, thanks for that. Okay, um, I want to in, uh, introduce our special guest, uh, Michael Whalen. As Beth mentioned, uh, he was the appellate attorney for Albert Wilson. Mr. Whalen uh, is among the top and perhaps number one post conviction defense attorney in the state of Kansas. He does this a lot. He is very, very good. And we. Mr. Whalen, I am so honored to have you on this podcast, and thank you for accepting our invitation.
2: Well, thank you, Judge Becker, for those kind words, Um, and I'm happy to be here today. Um, Yeah, we kind of know uh,
0: about the case now. Uh, You got, like I said, you got involved, I guess, in post-conviction. So uh, why don't you talk about your involvement and... uh, some of the problems uh, that we had at trial.
2: Sure, as the judge explained, uh, I'm an appellate attorney. I I do appeals, which means once the case is done in district court, once the trial's over, the cases then can be reviewed by the Court of Appeals and in other cases, some cases, the Kansas Supreme Court. So what I'm working from, I I was hired by the family uh, to handle the appeal in Mr. Wilson's case and I'm working from a a cold record, meaning I have access to all the motions that were filed, the transcripts of the trial, transcripts of all hearings, um, and any exhibits that were admitted. So I began my review of of Albert's case, and there were just some things that didn't look right. One of the things that that came up in reviewing the case was that there were no defense motions filed in the case. In just about any criminal case, and especially one that's going to jury trial, it's unusual to not have some kind of motion uh, of any sort. Uh, filed and reviewed by the court prior to trial. So that sent up a little bit of a red flag just reviewing things. Well, that was and kind
1: it, of a reoccurring theme for Mr. Wilson and his criminal defense, too, wasn't it? Just a lack of anything presented for him.
2: It, yeah, it, it it's true. And that's as we got deeper into it, because I had questions, I contacted his trial counsel and got cop- a copy of his file and had access to the... Uh, Exhibits which were videos from the hawk multiple camera angles that were all played at trial And then one of the things that I came across was a there was a download of the young woman's telephone information and This had an incredible amount of information on it that as we later proved was never even reviewed by trial counsel so this lack of, of it's not even an investigation, it's a failure to review the evidence in the case was kind of the linchpin of what we did next.
1: Well, and just for some reference, I think I read it was 2,000 pages worth of text messages and photos. Is that true?
2: Yeah, there were thousands of, of there were texts, emails.
1: Uh, and none of it had been reviewed.
2: Messages and none of it had none of it had been looked at. Wow!
0: It's so interesting in this uh, current culture that <laughs> almost everything is recorded these days. Other yeah. than other than phone calls, we don't make phone calls anymore. We text. We Instagram. We uh, email. We do all these things and make a record of it. And. I think that's uh, a good defense attorney. That's the first place they go. Let's review her text. Let's look at her uh, posts. Let's do all this uh, investigation of the def- of the victim or the accuser. And, yeah. Uh,
2: no, you're you're absolutely right. Um, when I came across this, I was pretty much just astounded because there was evidence that contradicted not only uh, the woman's testimony but even things that she told to the state's forensic psychologist who testified as an expert in the case um, that, that contradicted things that she even told in, in an evaluation. And we're talking about numerous significant things. Um, now, what, what, what I did with this when I found this information, um, in, in Kansas, you are allowed to petition the appellate courts to let you go back to the trial court and have what's called it's a van called a van cleave hearing but what it is is it allows you to raise the issue of ineffective assistance of counsel as a part of the direct appeal so this I had to file a motion make a request to have the case remanded back to the courts and um, and that was granted by the court of appeals so we wound up having a full two-day hearing just on the issues that that we raised as far as ineffective assistance of counsel um and there 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 was a lot um there you know as part of trial testimony and uh the the forensic psychologist testimony was really Uh, was also there were a number of red flags there. Um, The doctor who testified, one of the things he talked about was he made a guess as to what her alcohol level was. Yes,
1: I was going to ask about that. (laughs) He testified that it was like a 0.25, I believe. And then I'm thinking, how would he, I mean, she didn't go to the hospital until the next day. I didn't see anything indicating any kind of alcohol testing done then. Even if it was, how would you speculate what it was prior to?
2: Exactly i mean he never should have been allowed to make that statement to the jury
0: that's big
2: that's big there was no objection what we also came to find out when we got into getting ready for the hearing we had more discovery with the state the expert report that was provided to counsel before trial had been redacted unilaterally by the prosecutor (laughs) so we also found evidence of prosecutorial misconduct
1: well that that's a brady violation is that correct yeah, that's something is a reoccurring theme on this podcast. I think yeah. we talk about it every single week. Brady, violations. Uh, I think our, yes. our
0: listeners are familiar if with they the know Brady nothing discussion. else, if
1: they know yeah. <laughs> nothing else, they will know not to talk to police without an attorney and about Brady violations.
2: And and that's what we, what we found was the information that it was all exculpatory. It was you know part of this expert testimony and the testimony at, at trial was, you know, The woman was suffering, uh, you know, things similar to post-traumatic stress. She had a number of of mental health issues. Well, the testimony that occurred after Albert's, her, her encounter with Albert, part of what was redacted and the state's expert didn't know was that she had previously been diagnosed and was presently taking medication for depression.
1: So you wouldn't know if the stra- the the trauma, the that PTSD would come from her incident with Albert or prior life events prior to her exactly. even meeting Albert. Right. And the jury wasn't made aware of any of that.
2: No, no. Because defense counsel had never asked for an unredacted copy.
1: Well, and something else that... And he
2: had a complete right to. Yeah. Be- because this was written off by the judge. Basically, the prosecutor said we need these paragraphs out submit it to the judge and the judge signed off on it and defense counsel never asked for the full report never explored it and the information contained in there you know part of the the woman's testimony was she had never been drunk before she'd only ever drunk like one beer well part of what we found through the text was a lot of drinking.
1: Let me ask you this. This is something we haven't mentioned yet. Um, We keep referring to her as the woman because at the time of the incident, she was 17 years old. Uh, We already talked about Albert was 20. This was a 21 and over bar. Neither one of them were aware of each other's age at the time. So was was them redacting her mental health information? Was that having something to do with her being underage possibly? Or is that just not having no, anything to do with was, it either
2: it was pretty upfront everybody was underage everybody had ids okay i just didn't um,
1: know if maybe they redacted yeah. the mental health portion because she wasn't no concerned. it was because
2: she testified that she had never had any prior symptoms or treatment or <laughs> evaluation
1: okay i was just trying to give those da's an out there maybe something up on yeah. the up and up i gotta i gotta do my due justice but very clear that's not the case
2: it, it was not the case um at all um and, you know, and along with that, we, and then there was also, uh, that was the biggest part of what was taken out of there. I think there was also references to. Um,
1: was it something uh, about sexual experience too?
2: That, that was an issue. That was some other information. We didn't get too deep into that. Um, and I don't, I don't think that was part of the expert report. Okay. But we got this from the expert, Dr. Spear Digliazzi that had he known that information and apparently what also came out at the hearing was that he had requested any and all prior medical and it had never been turned over to him by the woman wow Uh, so he didn't have any prior stuff uh or any information at all about it similarly she reported to him she had only ever had one beer she was and and she reported that she was severely intoxicated barely able to stand up and that was her testimony but the videos from the bar which showed both inside the bar and outside entering and exiting the building she walked fine yeah she she didn't stumble there there was no evidence from any of that that supported that she was severely intoxicated but the underreporting of prior drinking also kind of said, I think, played into the doctor saying, well, she had a point two or, or or whatever was based on what she had told him yeah. that she had never really had a drink before. So and then we also found, you know, part of the, the testimony about how she was doing uh, since the alleged incident, um, she she couldn't be around people. She stopped attending events. Well, we found hundreds of pictures of her at homecoming, at uh, the winter dance, hanging out with friends. I mean, there were, and this was all just treasure trove from, from the phone yeah. that nobody else had any information about. Yes. Another thing, just keeping on the expert opinion, another thing that was testified to that Spiritigliazzi, the state's expert, confirmed that, this woman's version of events was true that there was basically his testimony was well she said this happened and then he backed it all
1: up by
2: by his expert opinion
1: he was a human lie detector exactly something else that really stuck out with me with his testimony was and correct me if I'm wrong because I've read lots of articles some from legitimate things and some not but didn't he testify after after the incident, he used the word "after she was raped," during trial, yes. and that wasn't. No, nobody objected to that. Right. To the defense or the expert witness saying she was raped and after the rape, this is what happened.
2: Yes, I believe that's correct. So, I mean, and and none of this had been explored at trial. Not, in, and there were almost no objections, and even uh, the attorney's cross examination of. Uh, of the accuser was maybe seven, eight pages, barely cross-examined her. Hmm. It, it just seemed like there was one thing after another, after another. Um, so we had this hearing, uh, I want to say last March, and once it was all over, the judge decided that, Mr. Wilson had not received a fair trial based on the shortcomings of his counsel in failing to object at trial and for failing to investigate or even review discovery in his own possession. And that was how we then, uh, and and that even took care of the appeal. The case was then sent back to Douglas County and placed on the jury trial docket.
0: Okay, so the result of this two-day hearing that you've been focusing on was the judge ordered a new trial correct was this two-day hearing was that in douglas county district court
2: yes it was yes
0: okay okay before the trial judge yes okay
1: and at at that case or at that time the case had already received national attention is that true yes what how how was that experience for you dealing with this case in such a big audience following it.
2: Um, I've, I've handled a couple of large cases before in the past, so it really wasn't that big of a deal. Okay. Um, I also I, I, I can't leave out. Um, we wound up in the course of this getting support from the Innocence Project, and uh, one of their ambassadors, who is also a trial consultant attorney, uh, Mr. Josh Dubin, joined in the defense uh and and work with me on the case after we had gotten it remanded back to the district court and they were they were a great help Wonderful, absolutely and yeah um mr dubin did one of the best crosses that i've ever seen just incredible trial skills wow Is, so that was all be, very helpful
0: would this be the midwest innocence project
2: no, this was the National Innocence Project. Oh, okay. And, and the Midwest Innocence Project is a subdivision of the Grand. Right. Right. Okay. Uh,
1: okay, so it's reversed, ordered back to the trial court for a new trial.
2: And eventually, uh, through uh, working with the with the the Douglas County District Attorney's Office. We had a final meeting of the parties, and shortly thereafter, the case was dismissed.
1: Well, and I, I guess I want to say, I think it's always, I like to point out, just from as a layperson standpoint, once it was sent back for a new trial to Douglas County, they offered Mr. Wilson some sort of a plea deal. And he Correct. refused that plea deal. Correct. I, I I'd like to make a big deal about that because, in my mind, there's been several cases where we've covered where people are offered plea deals, and it's like you're facing. In his in his sentence, it was 12 years, but I think it just goes to show you how firm they are in their innocence when they reverse something that's going to get them out for no. You know what I mean? With well, no no time served, time served, or whatever it may be.
0: And uh, and also, it points out how important it is for the DA's office to have a conviction. Yes. They want a conviction of something on the
2: case. Yeah. The, the, yes, very much so.
1: And as part of the settling of it afterwards, I found, I kept coming across the term restorative justice. Can Can you tell me a little bit about that or can you tell me? I know a lot of that was confidential, but is there anything? Right. Could, I, can,
2: I can talk about it in general. Okay. Um, but It's it's really, you know, part of what the courts are going back to um, in in other areas of the law It's kind of uh, almost like not quite a mediated setting. But it's a setting where basically you can pass information back and forth and the parties work together to hopefully get get to a resolution. And in this case, we were able to do that.
1: Wonderful. That's good. Yeah. And I think, and the reason I point that that's something I haven't came across before, instead of doing the, the new trial, um, the woman sat down with Mr. Wilson and they were able to discuss how the events affected their lives in front of a mediator. And they used the term, they settled it by means of restorative justice. So that's why I asked about that. I I wasn't familiar with that.
2: Yeah. Yeah. But I think that's just kind of, it's part of the new wave and, and, just people trying to get resolutions
1: the case
2: the case case for the state was not very strong after all of this yeah i mean it's just reality yeah um and i think they had pressures to get it resolved even aside from that and we were able to do it so it's sometimes it's you know the, the journey doesn't matter as much as as where you get to at the end
1: definitely yeah and nobody's life had to, well, I mean, he lost two years of his life, but it's not something that's going to, well, I will hang over him, but he doesn't have a conviction hanging over him. Are you in contact right. with Mr. Wilson currently? Is he doing well? Yeah. Last I heard, um, he's, he's working and doing fine. Good deal. I couldn't find anything current on him on social media. Now he did file, um, compensation for wrongful conviction this year. Is there any updates on what, how that's processing or if that's processing?
2: I'm not involved with that side okay. of it, so I really don't know. Okay. Yeah, I was
0: in, um, I was in the legislature um, when that bill uh, passed, so I'm personally taking credit for it. <laughs> uh, <laughs> it. They couldn't have done it without me. No, <laughs> but what a wonderful thing we did. First of all, uh, when I talk to people about it, I tell them the huge step, that was taken with that bill is the legislature acknowledged that this population exists. That's the first time they've ever acknowledged that there is such a thing as yeah, a wrongful conviction.
2: It's a huge step.
0: It is huge, and you know, it's certainly the uh, the terms of the uh, compensation aren't the most generous in the nation. but but they're, yeah, they're, they're up there. Uh, Some of the, uh, some of the compensation in some states is lacking. (laughs) A joke, really. But uh, I think it was a a fair, I I think they arrived at those numbers uh, through a lot of... um,
1: Collaboration?
0: Yeah, collaboration and negotiation and things like that. So yeah, I just wanted to mention that that's a wonderful thing that when this happens, we can at least, the wrongfully convicted can at least seek some compensation. So
1: so we, we talked a lot about how ineffective counsel was for Mr. Wilson. Um, as somebody who loves a public defender and is quite fond of one, do you, do you feel like it was an overworked situation, understaffed? Was it a, a lack of capability on the attorney's part? Because I mean, uh, it, no, it's pretty bad.
2: This this was seasoned counsel, private counsel. He was not part of the public defender's office. Okay. And somebody with a generally fine, upstanding reputation.
1: Wow. Yeah, and
2: I, I noticed... really don't know what occurred here. If there was something going on, or or what, but I, I don't think this was necessarily representative of other work that I'm familiar with.
1: Okay.
0: Yeah, and I'd, he'd certainly. This wasn't a situation where we have private counsel that does corporate law or wills and estates or something gets drawn into a criminal case. This is someone who has is experienced criminal trial attorney. Um, yeah
1: do we refer to that as the my cousin vinnie stance <laughs> this wasn't a my cousin Vinny situation
0: he had more experience than my cousin Vinny. there you go yeah okay michael thank you so much for this
2: absolutely well i appreciate it and uh uh if you ever want me back, I actually had another exoneration that occurred back in 2012. But uh, we of, can talk about that another time. Of course we want you back. <laughs> we, we I can want all, to. <laughs> We don't
1: even need to pause. Of course we want you back.
2: <laughs> of
0: course we're going to talk to you about another case. Uh, okay. and as far
2: as I know, I'm the only Kansan with two exonerations uh, on the registry. Oh, man.
1: That deserves a plaque.
2: Absolutely.
1: Yes, for sure.
2: Thank Ooh, you.
0: Yes. Thank I- you so much. Michael, well, thank you Michael for,
1: for being such gracious hosts.
0: Well, for not only being on this podcast, I want to thank you for what you do. I mean, uh, Beth and I are doing this podcast because we think exonerations are a big deal, really big deal. And I think our listeners need to, or I think everybody needs to know about it. So, yeah.
1: Be aware of heroes like you that are out there doing the good work for sure.
2: Well, I don't know if I'd go that far, but well, I appreciate it. Thank I, you.
1: I would, especially after what was done to Mr. Wilson, because it was horrific.
0: All right.
2: Well, All right. Well, you folks take care.
0: From your previous comment, we will definitely be in touch. <laughs>
2: <laughs> you
1: have not seen The Last of Us, that's for sure.
2: Okay. Well, that I, I can live with that. Oh, All, right. Thank, All right. Thank you. Thank you, Michael. It's your thing. Okay. Bye.
1: Bye. So that was Albert Wilson. Again, that was Albert Wilson's case. Thank you so much to Michael Whalen for having the time to come and talk to us about everything that went wrong. It was so interesting to hear from the perspective of the person who's actually fighting for individuals like this in the appellate courts. I do want to take just a few minutes to say thank you to everybody who reached out to both dad and I, uh, during the few weeks that we had not uploaded an episode, This is something we're so very passionate about. And dad and I both received messages from people that we don't know, who don't know us, who aren't friends of us, just reaching out to say how much they enjoyed it and appreciate what we are doing. And I can't tell you how humbling that is that the words that we're talking about, the stories that we're telling resonate with people. So thank you everybody so much for listening. Uh, I feel like the only true currency we have is as human beings on this earth is time. So the notion that you will willingly spend your currency on us and this topic is just, I don't, it warms my heart. So thank you. If this sounds a little different, the podcast studio is currently under construction. So we are recording it in the family dining room. So that's kind of cool to see the setup here. Uh, until next time, you can catch us on Cleared Pod on Instagram or Cleared Podcast on Facebook. Any comments, concerns, questions, thoughts, we'd love to hear from you. And until next time, thank you.
0: Thank you. Assault
2: City Sound Production.